Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. If you're brand new to this podcast, this is where every week we delve into a new topic, something that's happening around the world, international relations, as it were, Keith, because this is your specialty. You're an expert on international law, international relations, international economics with three PhDs, if you don't mind, slight <laughs> underachiever. Um, one of them is on scenario planning, which is a technique used for thinking about the future, which is what you apply to every scenario that we discuss on this show which today is very topical. It's what's going on at Syria at the moment, yeah. especially with the Turks striking at the Kurds. With support of the US, there are a few different narratives about this. We're yeah. going to break it down <laughs> and figure out where the truth is, Keith. <laughs> That's right. I think probably a good way to understand what is happening is actually to look at the competing narratives. In other words, to look at the points of view from the different participants because I've got a bit of sympathy for many of the participants, even though they're in conflict themselves. There's an element of logic behind what they're doing. So let's just start off with a bit of background in terms of Syria itself. So at the end of 2010, we get the beginning of the so-called Arab Spring, when a, a young vegetable seller, Mohammed Boussisi, set light to himself, and that was in Tunisia, and then died in January. And it caused a revolution amongst young people in Tunisia. So the, the leader in Tunisia fled the country. And then we get this challenge taken up with the other Arab states in North Africa and the Middle East. So in, in Libya, of course, Colonel Gaddafi is brutally overthrown and tortured and killed. In Egypt, the leader was overthrown and put into prison. And in Syria, the next domino to fall, so to speak, the Assad regime decided that they would stay and fight. They're not going to flee the country. He decided to stay. And this war then has dragged on from about 2011 up until today. So it's eight years of fighting, causing one of the biggest refugee crises in the world. You may remember a few years ago, a million Syrian refugees fled to Germany and has caused quite a negative reaction. So there are two million in Turkey on top of the... Top of the million that have gone into Europe, you've got two million in Turkey. So this is the the essence of the issue at the moment. So the Assad regime has succeeded in retaining control over most of the country. He certainly hasn't fled the country. He stayed and fought it out. The Russians have come to his assistance. The Russians have got no intrinsic desire to help the Assad dynasty but the Russians are worried about their real estate. The only access they have to the Mediterranean is actually a port in uh, Syria. And so they like to hold on to that relationship with Syria because it gives them access to the port. So that's Putin looking after his own self-interest, just saying we need to have that uh, warm water port. So the Americans got dragged into the conflict because of the separate struggle, which we had seen beginning in 2003, with the American invasion of Iraq. So Iraq fell into chaos, and then this new group, the Islamic State, which had broken away from al-Qaeda. Islamic State said, oh, al-Qaeda are full of wimps. They don't know how to kill enough people. We will show them how you carry out a vicious campaign. Al-Qaeda then did a brilliant campaign, took over a large slice of Iraq and Syria. And so the Americans were drawn into the Syrian conflict because they were trying to stop the Islamic State 
from taking over control in Syria. So here it gets very confusing indeed. So you had Saudi Arabia arming the Sunnis who are operating in Syria, and you had the Americans supporting a group that did the fighting against the Islamic State some of whom were being armed by the Saudis. So it gets incredibly complicated, oh, right? Oh, God. That's the Middle East for you, That's though. the Middle East, absolutely. <laughs> so the Russians always knew what they were doing in Syria. They were defending Assad. The Americans under Obama didn't know what they were doing. Were they fighting the Islamic State or were they seeking regime change with the overthrow of the Assad regime? So it's turned out to be a disastrous campaign for the Americans. Donald Trump in 2016, running for the White House, promised to get out of all these foreign wars that he would be inheriting from Bush and Obama. And that resonated with part of America because they're just sick and tired of fighting other people's wars. Uh, the, The American phrase is they cost too much blood and treasure. In other words, the death of too many Americans and the cost of fighting all these wars. Trump now claims that he was opposed to the Iraq invasion in 2003. I'm not sure how much truth there is in that, but, you know, he says, I was I was always a critic of President Bush and Iraq. I was a sceptic about the Afghanistan campaign. And, of course, he criticised Obama with the attack in Syria. So one strand of this narrative to, to understand is that of President Trump. So President Trump ran in 2016 with a promise not to start any new wars, and he has honoured that. He's not gone into, you know, at one point we thought he might be going into Venezuela, but in fact he didn't. No doubt CIA are behind the scenes stirring up a bit of trouble, but there's been no American invasion of Venezuela. Trump has honoured that promise. He's not started a new issue, a new war. So it's a question of getting out of the three existing ones. He's, he has been stirring the pot, let's be honest, though, especially with Iran, but we'll come to that in no, a later That's a week. separate <laughs> year, but he still hasn't gone to war with Iran. No. No, he's the one who said, I stopped the military from attacking Iran. You know, he's a bit of a peace candidate. Uh, it's a very interesting role that Trump is playing, particularly when you start annoying the deep state. It's very risky. That's why he's been losing some of his key personnel, because they just suddenly have decided he's too soft. And so these are not Trump's decisions to get rid of these people. These are the people, the deep state is the people that are always working. They're the people in the Pentagon, the intelligence agencies, the finance sector, depending on the context. But these are the people who are there from one president to the next. They see the politicians come and they see them go. Mm. So the deep state always remains in power and is influential. And Trump has said, look, we we are not winning in Afghanistan, and that's a separate story. That's now America's longest war. And I can't see what good we're doing in Syria. Therefore, we're going to pull out. And at this point, he's had key resignations from his own staff who are saying, no, we must stay the course. But the problem is, what is that course which they're trying to follow? So one narrative is that of President Trump, almost as a peace candidate, if you like, for next year's presidential election, where he will be saying, I did not commit any new wars and I have tried to reduce America's involvement. And the first cab off the rank is Syria. So he's pulling out the American forces, and this then flows into other narratives. But a lot, a lot of people are saying, well, you're leaving our uh, allies in the lurch. So let me get onto a second narrative. This is the role of the Kurds. So the Kurds are the largest indigenous population in the world without their own homeland. So they were part of the old Turkish, the Ottoman Empire, for centuries. At the end of World War I, they were promised their own homeland. But the Western powers, that's not so much the United States, but certainly Britain and France and Turkey, 
did not honour their promise. There is a treaty which was never honoured. And instead, what the land called Kurdistan was then divided between Syria, Iraq, Iran, and a bit of in the old Soviet Union. So there are about 30 to 40 million Kurds either there or living overseas, some of whom are in Australia. So they're the largest Indigenous population without their own homeland. They have consistently been pro-American and they have been betrayed by the Americans, right? So if you go back to the Gulf, first Gulf War in 1990, when George Bush Sr. drove Iraq out of Kuwait, George Bush Sr. then encouraged the Kurds in northern Iraq to rebel against Saddam Hussein. They rebelled and the Americans failed to follow through with any assistance. So they got massacred. Those and the people at the other end of the country, the Marsh Arabs. So the Kurds are used to getting betrayed. The Kurds in Syria put up a fight against the Islamic State. And so some of the American aid that went into Syria went to the Kurds and they did a brilliant job in fighting off the Islamic State who would try to occupy that part of Syria. Remember, the Assad regime is, is not controlling all of Syria. It's the Islamic State. And they fought it. So they are actually American allies. So that's the second story. So you've got Donald Trump, who's the peace candidate, if you like. You've got the Kurds, who want to own their own bit of land, starting with, with Syria, and, of course, would like to take over a bit of eastern Turkey and a bit of Iraq and Iran. But is, is Donald Trump, is it right to say Donald Trump was on the record in supporting the Kurds? Was this earlier last year? He made... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like he well, was. Well, he's used contradictory tweets. I know, but he he did support them at one stage, saying that they fought by side. Yep. When it absolutely. suited his purposes last year, and now he's changed his. And now he's changed his mind. He said, "Well, yeah, they weren't fighting at Normandy in 1944, which is stupid, because of course they were fighting the Germans in the Middle East, but they weren't fighting at Normandy. No, there was no regiment at Normandy but in June on the 1944. Same side. Yeah, <laughs> but exactly. they were on the American side, and they were fighting. They were fighting yeah. the Germans locally. Oh, so. The second strand of the narrative then is, is the situation then regarding the Kurds. There is a third narrative that also needs to be explored and perhaps we need to come back to that after the break. Oh, look at you go with your timing. Spot on. We'll come back to that in just a moment. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're just going through what is going on and clarifying what is going on with Syria at the moment because it is quite a convoluted. I mean, the war was convoluted on its own and now I've got this, uh, you know, Trump involvement because he's green-lighted a Turkish strike on there, a lot of civilians at risk, and also the Kurds who have traditionally fought alongside the Americans have been very, very loyal and they've been thrown under the bus here because the Turks are going for the Kurds. So we're looking at the different narratives and the way this story is being told around the world. You've got the Trump being the peacekeeper and trying not to get into foreign wars or trying to pull out of them, which is legitimate up yep. to this point, and then since his presidency began. And then you've got the Kurds, who we've just heard a brief history of, and then the third. And the third narrative is really the role of Turkey. So Turkey has got its own Kurdish population in eastern Turkey. Remember, the, the Kurdish population is scattered amongst a number of countries that are all lumped together. So... Turkey's worry, and this is why Turkey has a separate agenda from that of the United States, right? The United States just wants to get the hell out of Syria, or if they stay in Syria, they just want to fight the Islamic State. Turkey, okay, is fighting perhaps the Islamic State, although also facilitating the smuggling of oil through Islamic State territory in the old days 
into Turkey then being sold throughout the world. So because that's an oil-rich region, that's a, a separate strand to the story. At the moment, the Islamic State is in retreat. Trump says the mission is accomplished, um, but in fact, the Islamic State still has individuals. Okay, they're not claiming um, uh, an area of land, which they were doing a few years ago, but the Islamic State still has its warriors and their wives and their children scattered around, right? So Turkey is saying, yeah, we know there's a problem with them, but we have a bigger problem, and they're the Kurds. If the Kurds in northern Syria create a flourishing independent Kurdistan territory, then that creates an incentive for the Kurds in eastern Turkey or over the border to also seek to have their own homeland. And 10 to 20% of the Turkish population is Kurdish, right? So the Turkish agenda is that we've got to clamp down on Kurdish territorial aspirations. We don't want to have a flourishing uh, civilization for the Kurds in northern Syria because it'll encourage the Kurds in eastern Turkey then to rebel. On top of that, Turkey says we've got 2 million Syrian refugees on our soil. Where do we send them? Do we send them north into Europe? Look at the chaos that we've had with the previous lot we went into Germany and elsewhere. Or do we send them back into Syria, coincidentally, the area of territory immediately to the south of Turkey, which is Kurdistan territory. So in other words, these are people who have fled from all over Syria and Turkey wants to resettle them in a specific area of, of uh, Syria, which is the Kurdish territory. And so that the Turks have invaded Kurdistan or Kurdish territory of Syria with a view to then being able to create opportunities to resettle those Syrian refugees. Remember the Europeans and the Americans are not helping to finance the settlement of these 2 million people in Turkey. So the Turkish government says we're a poor country mm. and we're having to look after these 2 million people on top of all of our problems. Why aren't you guys providing us with more money? So the Europeans are saying, of course, you know, we've got a million to look after within our own borders. Tough. We, we can't help you with your other 2 million. So... Turkey is saying, all right, well, we're not going to have them in Turkey. We want to put them back into Syria. And coincidentally, they will go into the area closest to our border, which happens to be the Kurdish territory, which is why they're therefore fighting. Now, you come back to this phone call that between Trump and Erdogan. So Erdogan is the uh, Turkish leader, which some people say is trying to recreate a new Turkish empire. Erdogan may have imperial aspirations, who knows. Erdogan and Trump have discussed the American withdrawal. Trump has said that he never gave permission for Turkey to invade Syria, right? But that, that, that's Trump's point of view. And as we speak, he's sending the vice president, Mike Pence, to Turkey to reaffirm that Turkey must not invade. The problem for the United States... So they're happy that, for them to strike from across the border but not actually <laughs> ground forces into the country. Is well, that they, right? Well, they don't want... Well, they really don't want... Officially... They don't want Turkey getting involved in Syrian affairs because the problem is the Russians, right, who have done so well to keep Assad in power, the Russians have said, we will help defend you against the Turkish invader. Remember, Turkey has got the second largest army in NATO behind the United States hmm. and is, is an important NATO ally. So you've really got a dispute between these NATO allies, namely the United States and Turkey. And the rogues. Russia and Syria. Oh, and Russia, Assad. yeah. So what's happening with Russia is that Russia, of course, is exploiting the chaos by saying to Assad, "Don't worry, we'll help fight off those 
dreadful Turks who want to recreate a Turkish empire in Syria. We're not going to, we won't allow that. <laughs> so you see there's scope for Russia also to get involved, not because Russia is particularly pro-Shia or Alawite in terms of religious makeup or anything like that. It's just that the Russians look for opportunities to create mischief and they want to hold on to their naval base, which is why they've got to keep Assad in power. Why do they like mischief so much, the Russians? Well, because they used to be the, the other superpower, remember? They yeah. no longer ha- enjoy that status. But they like to keep needling the Americans <laughs> as a reminder that, yes, they were a superpower and they are still around. They've had a decade of being in chaos at the time of Yeltsin, but they're now getting their act together under Putin and Putin is seeking to re-establish a stronger Russia. Now, whether he can do that, of course, is another matter. But that that but he remember, he's the one who saved Assad in the Syrian civil war. He also got Obama out of a very tight corner. Obama, uh, during the um, Syrian conflict, was challenged, what's going to force you to get involved? Is there a red line? And Obama pulled a, a, a statement out of the air saying the use of gas warfare. And then lo and behold, coincidentally, we get the use of gas warfare a little while later. And then Putin goes to Obama saying, we'll help get you out of this corner. So we will then get Syria to agree to scrap its chemical weapons, to get it to agree there's an international agreement and there's an international agency to check that you're honouring your agreement. And Australia is bound by this agreement as well. And so Putin helped get Obama out of that corner, which he'd put himself into because of the use of gas warfare. So, you know, Putin is, is earning points all the way around. Now, he's earning points with Obama. He's earning points with the, the Syrian regime. Now he's being seen as the defender of Syria and Kurds, traditionally an American ally. He is now defending the Kurds against another American ally, which is Turkey. It's very complex, Keith. But, you, gosh, you do well to break it down for us. Thank you. So what <laughs> is going to be the future? Just quickly, there's an outcome then. Like what is the future of Syria, for example? At this state, where we are right now... Well, Syria has lost millions of people as asylum seekers in other countries. It's going to take a long while for them to come back. They've also, of course, Syria is one of the places of civilization. A lot of the old historic places have been destroyed, partly by the Islamic State, who refused to recognize a civilization before the birth of Muhammad. And so they destroyed a number of... I was at a conference at Oxford a few years ago when we were just looking at the extent of the destruction carried out by the Islamic State. I have been to Syria and I've got to say I'm absolutely distraught. Oh, absolutely. I was at the time when I saw a lot of the damage that they did exactly. to these places I'd been to. Yep. It's amazing. Those, those archaeological sites were absolutely extraordinary, weren't yep. they? Absolutely. Roman ruins and... Yep. Absolutely. And- so what has happened is that the tourist industry is obviously damaged. It's going to take ages to re- literally rebuild the country in terms of the, the buildings that have come down. And my guess is there will be parts of Syria that will not be under the direct control of Damascus but will be controlled by local warlords. So the so-called Arab Spring has led to the destruction of of Syria. But President Trump could say, with some sympathy from me, that was a civil war. It's between different Islamic groups. It's not America's job to be a police officer between Islamic groups who want to fight out their own civil war. The Muslims didn't get involved in Europe when that had its own civil war, which is the Great Reformation. And so the Muslims didn't get involved in Europe at that time, 500 years ago. We shouldn't be involved in the Islamic civil war now. Let them fight it out. So we just don't know where to from here. 
I think the violence will simply continue. My worry is that with the Russians getting involved, we will see a collision between Russia and Turkey. So this could actually flare up into a much more significant conflict. As always, enlightening. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. 